Please be seated. Hebrews chapter 10. Considering this morning as a one-off sermon, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice and the, the, really the wonder of, of the gospel, the clarity of the gospel that is declared to us in Scripture. And so in the center of our consideration this morning will be Hebrews 7.25, but our text comes from Hebrews 10. And so that we have the, one of the main ideas from Hebrews chapter 7. If you would take your bulletin, before I read from Hebrews 10, I'd like us to say together this verse printed in bold from Hebrews 7.25 as we consider these things together. So if you would take your bulletin, we'll say these, these words together. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And focusing especially on the idea of saving to the uttermost. So Hebrews 10, verse 19, reading through verse 25. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word once again. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved people of God, there, is, uh, there are some, some parallels or at least a, a similarity of situation between uh, the error that's being addressed in the book of Hebrews and the situation of widespread corruption in, uh, in the late medieval church. What's, uh, what's really being addressed in, in the book of Hebrews, the letter of the Hebrews, is that there were early Christians, certainly mostly Jews in this instance, uh, who are failing to abandon the old, that which had passed away. The Mosaic uh, economy of worship, tabernacle, temple sacrifices, 
failing to abandon that and, and failing to abandon it because they're failing to see the way in which it's all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when the, the fulfillment comes, you no longer turn to that which came as a type, as a, as a copy, as a shadow of the things to come. So it's failing to abandon the old. In the late medieval church, the, the widespread corruption was because there was a failure to condemn that which had crept in and was, although new, corrupt. See, both things, both problems, both situations, whether it be uh, those in the early church who were being drawn to this Judaizing error and this desire to adopt and kind of make Christ fit in to the Mosaic economy of, of worship, or in the late medieval church with widespread corruption, the, the, the selling of indulgences without the, the clear proclamation of the gospel and a widespread teaching on the unbiblical doctrine of purgatory, making people believe that salvation could be bought with money. Both of those things are an attack on the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. And the antidote for both situations is, of course, the same. The antidote is what the author of Hebrews says. Embrace the gospel of Jesus once again. Come with a clarity of conviction to the priesthood of Christ and place your trust in Him and then live out all of its implications as you go to Him in faith and rely upon this God who saves by His grace. That is what we must do in every age. That is what the, the faithful church is to do in every age, to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live out its implications without fear and without dread. And that exhortation is placed before us today. So let's consider these things together. First idea, believe the gospel. And we're going to spend most of our time on this first point. I know I have a problem with making the first point out of the three the longest Today is certainly no exception to that, so this will be the longest point. Believe the gospel. Second idea, hold fast to the gospel. And the third idea, encourage one another. Believe the gospel, hold fast to the gospel, and encourage one another. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, Jesus. That, that first phrase, since we have confidence, means that that's going to be the foundation for the exhortation. In other words, the drawing near that we are called to do, and we'll unpack that in just a few minutes, the drawing near is going to happen because we have confidence. And this confidence is, of course, rooted in all of what the book of Hebrews is, is teaching us, that Christ's sacrifice at Calvary is sufficient to cleanse your sins, to reconcile you to God, to allow you to stand in grace before Him as righteous. What Christ has done is sufficient. That's, of course, uh, shown to us in places like Hebrews 10, 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. What did He do? He sat down at the right hand of God. The author of Hebrews is, of course, being very clear there, and Jesus, of course, would be fully understanding of what He has done. He would not be mistaken. The sitting down is because the work is complete. 
all the sins of those who will be reconciled to God, of those who would be saved, of those who have been from the foundations of the world appointed to, to eternal life, their sins have been paid for. The price has been paid. The certificate of debt can be canceled because of what Christ has done. So confidence in the sufficiency will pro provide the foundation for the exhortation, but our confidence is to enter the holy place. John Owen translates this as the holiest. Sometimes you'll see the holy places or the most holy place. Now, of course, the entire letter of the Hebrews is addressing this error of wanting to look at the, the, the mosaic tabernacle or temple, the sacrificial systems, and return to that or to make Christ kind of fit in on the side of that to bring them both together rather than seeing them as a, as a redemptive historical development. They have passed away because the fullness has now come in Christ. So the, the whole letter of Hebrews is addressing that error. So the confidence that we have to enter the holy place can't be to enter an earthly tabernacle or temple. Hebrews is, the, the book of Hebrews teaches us that the earthly copies are mere shadows, and there's a heavenly reality that all of those things point to. So what is the confidence that we have to enter the most holy place or the holy place? It's a confidence to enter the very presence of God. The special privilege of God's people in and through the gospel of Christ is that by faith in Jesus Christ, we confidently enter the presence of God himself as an act of the heart, as a spiritual act. We, our hearts are lifted up into the very presence of God, the special privilege of God's people. We move towards our Creator. We draw near to Him. You do that how? How do we do that? Through the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus is efficacious, right? It's efficient, and it has wonderful effects. It's efficacious because God's wrath is truly satisfied by the offering of Jesus. Once for sin, he offered a single sacrifice and sat down at the right hand of God. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The, the exchange of the gospel, the wonderful transaction. The, the blood of Jesus Christ truly turns the wrath of God away from the believing sinner. The wrath of God is satisfied. The blood of Christ is efficient. But it also has marvelous effects. It's not just what it does relative to God, but as we embrace that by faith, as we believe in the efficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ, what does it do? It takes away all dread and fear, as we just sang. I can no longer fear. As we embrace all that God's Word tells to us about the efficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, it takes away all dread and fear. John Owen says, nothing but the blood of Jesus can give us this boldness. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus because he has opened for us a living way. Men, young men, even boys, it's, no, it's never too early to start doing this. I don't care what uh, the world tells you about uh, chivalry and those things passing away. 
If you see a lady behind you and you're about to walk into a building, you open the door for her. And you stand there, you give her a smile, you stand there, wait till she goes in, you open the door and you hold the door for her. And I will tell you, nine times out of 10, maybe 95 times out of 100, you will get a very nice smile and a thank you. And you can tell that genuinely from, from the heart, she feels valued. She feels special by that kind gesture that, that you have done. Do that. It says that the living way has been opened for us by Jesus. Why does the author of the Hebrews say he opened it for us? Because in the remembrance that Christ has done these things for us to bring us to God fills our hearts with confidence and joy. He has opened that way for us, and it is a living way. Not only is it new, and we could unpack new and living for several sermons, just a couple of ideas on, on the living way. It's, it's a living way because it's not a, a slaughtered animal that reconciles us to God. It's the living God-man who gave himself as a sacrifice but lives. He ever lives to make intercession for us. It's a living way, and a living way that covers not only all of our sins, past, present, and future, but all the sins of everyone who will believe. And he always lives to make intercession for his people. And even though the, the, the sacrifice for sin was thousands of years ago, Nevertheless, it is still just as effectual. Not only is it living because of that way, but it's living because it creates life. It's the only way to obtain eternal life. It is the path of life itself. It gives life and it creates life and it is life. It's a living way. The sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice paves the way for this exhortation then let us draw near. Why? Because we have this, this great, faithful, sufficient high priest over all of the house of God. Let us draw near. What does it mean to draw near? To draw near is simply to come to God by faith in Christ. To, as, as an act of the soul, go towards the Creator by the power of the gospel. We draw near to God as an act of the heart, trusting in the sufficiency of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. It's coming into the presence of God, spiritually, by the power of Jesus, trusting in His all-sufficient sacrifice. It's to come to God by faith in Christ. This is exactly what we do since we have what? We have confidence to enter the holy place. And in a sense, the, the author of the Hebrews is saying, since we have confidence to enter into the presence of God, enter into the presence of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, John Owen, drawing out some of these observations, says this, that it is faith in Christ alone that gives us boldness of access unto God. And the person and office of Christ are to be rested in with full assurance in all our accesses to the throne of grace. What is it? It's just simply faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone. So let us draw near. That's the exhortation. There also is a qualification. There's a qualification to this. How do, how do we draw near? Well, we must draw near with a true heart, it says. What is a, 
What is a true heart? Is it a heart that is focused on truth, doctrinal truth? That, that could be it. But probably what, what the author is saying here under the inspiration of, this, of the Spirit is a, a sincere heart, a genuine heart that in all sincerity gives itself unto God with the way that God has prescribed to be reconciled to Him. It's to take as authoritative and final the words of the gospel. Draw near to God with a true heart that sincerely wants to be reconciled to Him through the gospel of grace. We see time and time and time again in the scriptures, what is it that God wants? He wants a sincere heart. He wants a genuine heart. Book of Joel, rend your heart and not your garments. Psalm 51, you desire truth in the inward parts. Psalm 119, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. What does God want? Does he want outward acts of righteousness primarily? No, he wants the heart. Come to him, draw near to him with a sincere heart genuinely seeking to be reconciled to him through the gospel of grace. That's the qualification, a true heart, for that is what God wants. And then the, the manner is also spoken of here, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Confidence is the constant frame of mind for the believer. It doesn't mean that we never wrestle with doubts. It doesn't mean that we struggle to even understand how God can pour out His forgiveness. But confidence is the frame of mind for the believer. When you hear the word of the gospel preached to you, that the blood of Christ cleanses you from every sin and stain, that it reconciles you to God, that it gives you an everlasting inheritance that can never fade away. When you hear that word, are you persuaded that it is true and that God will hold to his word because he who promised is faithful? It's confidence, not in yourself. We all know that we're sinners. We know that we are far from perfect. We know that we have no righteousness in and of ourselves, but it's confidence that God will be true to his word and what he declares to us is true. In Christ, you're forgiven and reconciled to God. So let us draw near with full assurance of faith to have a, an unmovable persuasion concerning the priesthood of Christ, that our souls arise and shake off their fears because of what Christ has done. And that leads into the next phrase. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. What, what is this evil conscience? Probably most... Uh, what, what seems to, to make the most sense in the flow of the passage here is the evil conscience is that which would speak quietly to you in the quietness of your heart to convince you that the sins that only you know about, that nobody else does, we all have those, the sins that only you know about will be the sins that ultimately condemn you. That's what an evil conscience is. And that is what you can be tempted to, to, to go to in your heart if you are not trusting in the sufficiency of Christ's priesthood. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. That's confidence in the great high priest. 
this uh, uh, heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and the bodies washed with pure water seems to certainly come from Ezekiel 36 where the Lord says through the prophet, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Sprinkles now the throne of grace as we just sang. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and the body washed with pure water is a relationship between the inner man and the outer man that accords with all God says he will do through the gospel. He will cleanse your inner man. You will be reconciled to God. You will be persuaded that you have been reconciled to God through the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. And then as he gives you his spirit through faith, he will cause you to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules by his grace and for his glory. The body's washed with pure water. Many people think that that may have something to do with with baptism, and certainly there's some connection there. But the primary import is the relationship between the inner man and the outer man. The body washed with pure water is the life of a person that because their heart has been transformed, they, by the Spirit, live in obedience to God with an abundance of good works. Zealous for good works, as Titus says. So that puts before us, in no uncertain terms, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Since the priesthood of Christ is everlasting, since his sacrifice is sufficient, draw near in faith. How? With a true heart, with sincerity. Hearts sprinkled clean, bodies washed with pure water. So embrace the one who saves to the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost. There's no time at which someone for whom Christ is interceding will stop interceding. He is a sufficient Savior. Draw near in confidence. Let your heart be filled with confidence that He is your Savior through the gospel as you draw near to Him in the way that Hebrews prescribes. Embrace the one who saves to the uttermost. Secondly, we are to hold fast to the gospel. Not only do we believe the gospel, but we will hold fast, or we are to hold fast to the gospel. And what we need to remember is that since the author of the Hebrews gives us this exhortation to hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to the truth, we need to understand that it will not be easy to do so necessarily. Why does he have to give us that command? Because it will not be easy always to hold fast to the truth. Think of two of the biggest errors in the history of the church. You had the Judaizing error early on, which crept into people's minds in a subtle way, because in many ways it seemed so closely related to the truth of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus is fine, but we're just going to kind of add some things along with it. Think of the the late medieval church with the widespread corruption. They were still uh, naming Jesus Christ and and seeking to to say, yes, we we believe in Christ, but it had these these corrupt parts added to it. The most dangerous errors are often the, the most subtle. 
Satan does not want us to believe the pure and true message of grace. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. He wants subtle nuances added onto it. So hold fast to the profession of your hope. It will not be easy to do so, which means if it will not be easy, then you must put forth great efforts to do so. And how will we hold fast to the profession if we understand centrally hope? If we understand what hope is all about. If we are persuaded that what God has promised us in Christ, He will give to us because of the declaration of truth. So we fight all kinds of temptations from without and within all kinds of, of temptations to abandon our faith in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, whether it be from an evil conscience or being lured away by sensuality in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, to abandon the hope that we have. So we must fight temptations from without and within. We must face up to persecutions as they come. And here we have no better proof of holding fast to the hope than for many who were killed uh, in the time of the early Reformation. Think of uh, Latimer and Ridley as their lives, their earthly lives, were coming to an end at the stake. Latimer says to Ridley, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust, shall never be put out. They were confident in the hope that they had. William Tyndale cried out not for his own life. He said, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Why? Because he wanted the simple truth of Scripture to be spread abroad. If you hold fast to the profession of your hope, you will hold fast because of what God has promised us. We hold fast to the profession of the gospel, and then finally we encourage one another. We encourage one another. In Hebrews it says, uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do we do that? Where does it begin? Well, you will seek to encourage one another in Christ if you begin with a heart that is devoted to Him. If you seek to love Him more, that will be what stirs your heart to stir others up to love and good works. And the cause for that is right in this passage. As you consider all of the things that are set before you in this marvelous and deep and rich passage about the sufficiency of Christ, how can your heart not ring out with greater love for Him? How can the name Jesus Christ not ring in your ear as you have placed before you what He did to open up for you a new and a living way to the presence of God? You will seek to encourage one another and to stir up one another if you love Christ more with a sincere and genuine heart. So meditate on what he has done. Think about the beauty of what he has done in reconciling you to God, and your heart will be filled with a greater desire for, for others to know that just as much and more. This is done primarily by coming together as one in worship on the Lord's Day, as we see. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is in public worship 
where we show especially that Jesus Christ is our high priest over the house of God. We show submission to him as Lord and King. And we are to do this evermore as we see the day drawing near. Well, what does this mean? Is it, does this mean that we're to pick up on special signals that show that the day is drawing much nearer? That we say, okay, well, this is happening. It must mean that uh, we're somewhere within five years of the return of Jesus Christ. That's not what it means. The point is that salvation is always drawing nearer. The point is that you're always moving one day closer to that day. As we read in Romans chapter 13, salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Each day, we must always remind ourselves that we are moving closer to that moment when we will stand before the judge. So of first importance, have you gone that path, that living way, that reconciles us to God. The primary, the primary command of God, as Jesus makes clear in the Gospel of John, is that you believe in the one whom he has sent. So of first importance, have you drawn near to God by faith in Jesus Christ? Secondly, do you use your time and his gifts in order to serve him? Thirdly, do you treasure him? And in treasuring Christ, do you stir up and encourage others to do the same? My college football coach used to tell us, you got two days that are guaranteed. Really only two days. This day and that day. It's really kind of two moments, isn't it? You have right now and the moment you will stand before the Creator. How are you going to use the time that you have? Well, there's a very clear exhortation given to us. A good use of the time is to believe the gospel, to hold fast to the gospel, to treasure the Savior, and to encourage one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice in your word. He is our King. He is our Lord. We worship him. All the world will crown him as King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray that you will allow us to crown him in our hearts and even in our mouths today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand together, sing number 295 in the red hymnal. Crown him with